G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to be talking about what's called the Third Education Revolution. And we'll talk about Australia. Uh, There are some truly revolutionary initiatives that are taking hold around the world. And uh, one of those presenting as an alternative solution to what is described as our failing education systems. There is speculation that Western higher education is in crisis and, in fact, could self-destruct. For a thousand years, the church sent students to the university. Now the university will send students to the church every day. Professors will also come to the church online. Academic pastors will mentor students as homeschooling parents do. Experts will create the world's best curriculum with skills and problem-solving aptitude to train world changers. Well, that seems a simple explanation of what is likely to be a growing movement around the world called the Third Education Revolution. Do you think it will catch on here in Australia? And there's going to be encouragement today for Christian education entrepreneurs to connect with the third education revolution. Our special guest today is Dr. David McDonald. He's a contributing author to the book, The Third Education Revolution. Uh, His day job, he's director for Health Teams International, a leader of medical mission teams to help the poor across the globe. He regularly lectures on biblical worldview, parenting, and world religions in the U.S. and internationally. David McDonald, a special welcome along to 2020. Well, thank you so much. What an honor it is and a blessing to talk with you today, Neil. David, talking to you from Seattle, Washington in the United States, and you're in the U.S., uh, there is a popular impression developing that our education systems in the West are now so woke Uh, that it's failing students and the nation. Uh, What are your thoughts for what's happening so far as education systems in the West go? Well, you know what was so interesting is uh, we just have a a brand new Supreme Court nominee in the United States, and she was asked a very simple question. Now, this is one of the finest educated people, really, I would say, on the planet. And the question that stumped her was, what is a woman? And her response to that is, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. And I really think her answer is indicative to these kind of woke principles that are happening from higher education. Really, when we look at higher education, we see education as probably one of the best models for transforming culture. And that model comes straight to us from 2 Timothy 2. I just want to open with this verse, and it says, and the things you have heard me, and, the, and who this is referring to is Timothy. And so it says, and the things you, Timothy, have heard me, Paul, say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people. 
who will be qualified to teach others. So this model that they're using in higher education to indoctrinate with woke culture is the Pauls and Timothys are our university and higher education professors. The reliable people are those teachers who have been trained in higher education who are now training our kindergarten through high school students. And so from the very top to the very bottom, we see societal transformation happening through the realm of education. That's a great, uh, great opening. So education is a model for transforming culture, and you've taken us right back to Timothy in the Bible. And, of course, we might appreciate history here, and you might be able to enlighten us some more, but uh, right through the missionary movement, uh, the way that the gospel has spread around the world right up to the present day. And, of course, education has been a part of the Christian endeavor. Absolutely, yeah. If you if you go back, you, we can pick India, and you take somebody like uh, William Carey, who transformed that entire area. He did it through education. He brought the printing press. He brought libraries. He brought all sorts of things to India, and he he used the medium of education. And really, the reason that they did that is it's it's a biblical mandate. When you think about what. You take uh, the children of Israel, who were essentially illiterate slaves in Egypt, and the irony that God gave them a written law and said to follow this. They had to then become educated. And you see these massive educational movements that happened from Jewish culture that emanated out of what would be the religious center, what we would maybe say the church, but obviously that was the synagogue, and that became the model for transforming a nation. Let me ask you about one of the core issues here when we talk about Christians and education, and that is an issue of truth, because the Christian church uh, would say, well, we are holders of the truth, but uh, there's some speculation and there's lots of evidence that might say, and uh, you know, one of your colleagues, Vishal Mangalwadi, wonderful Indian philosopher, uh, who suggested that 20th century evangelicalism branded itself as the party of faith and secularism became the party of truth. Has the church lost the truth and does education become the way we might regain it? You know, this is actually, I, I love Vishal. In fact, he's a um, very good friend of mine. It, ex- exactly what he said is reflected in a recent Barna poll on millennials. And listen to this question. It was, it was a simple question they asked. They said, who do you trust to tell the truth or to do what's right? Now, the survey, uh, the servant, the people who were being surveyed, they answered this in this way. 66% responded positively to college professors being trustworthy to tell the truth or to do what's right. Only 54% responded positively to pastors of Christian churches who would be trustworthy to do what's right. And so one of the things that the church did well was to spread you know, I would say necessarily the gospel. And so I would say we're to be kings and priests. And in some aspects of being a priest, they did that well. The part of, uh, you know, being a king in this development of education and character, when universities changed 
um, and became more secular, the church immediately pulled back rather than lean in to this. And I think that gave an appearance of giving up the truth. So you give up the truth and you give up the culture. And so when we talk about a third education revolution, what we're talking about here is regaining the truth in order to regain the culture. Amen. Absolutely. One of the things we came up with this idea of the third education revolution is we kind of went back to Charlemagne and you look at what he was able to do to establish schools. This would have been about 800 AD. Then you look at the second great education uh, revolution. And so, uh, you know, this is about 500 years ago, 1520. uh, Germany really birthed the modern world. In that year, Martin Luther wrote an open letter to Christian nobility. He was explaining God's children can serve him as priests and kings only if they're educated. And how can you do God's will if you don't know what he said? So back then, no school system existed in Europe. German pastors, um, they basically changed history by inviting children to come to their home to study. Their homes literally were called homeschools. So to support this education, Luther wrote both a shorter catechism for students, longer catechism to equip preachers um, to become teachers. This secularization that happened in the church, what we're calling for is a third education revolution to get this education back into the church. Some will be thinking, can this work with university the way that homeschool works with our children and education? What are your thoughts and is there, what sort of evidence is there as the movement continues to take a hold in various nations around the world that this could actually work? Well, one of the things that COVID did is COVID forced um, basically a, a hybrid education model. So online education, which is, you know, just basically university students purely going in at online, there was a lot of challenges around character development. You know, there's these, there's so many student problems that came with cheating with online education and um, things like that. But what COVID proved is that you can deliver education via an online platform. No longer do we have to sit and interface directly in the same room with the subject matter expert. We can be a long ways away. And so how this develops in the third world, I just actually came back from being in Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Democratic Republic of uh, Congo, and Nigeria. If you take a country like Uganda, 50% of all of the teachers during COVID quit teaching permanently. So they have a huge problem. How do we educate our students? So we worked with a German company in order to bring in a hybrid education system that is essentially an online asynchronous education package. But where do they go to school? And so one of the largest um, I would say misallocations of capital in the world is when you look at the Christian church, they basically sit empty for five days a week. And so what we propose, there's two large congregations there. Each of them have one, one of the congregations, I think had 55,000 churches, another had 60,000 churches. And we said, why don't you open up the church and become educational centers? Have your associate pastors, these pastors, oversee the students as they log into 
subject matter experts. And that became a model that's actually being used in Uganda in order to deliver both lower education. And now we're uh, partnered now with 10 universities or in the process of partnering with 10 universities in the U.S. to provide this type of education overseas. Education in general has become so expensive. And so we believe this, this model, in order to be sustainable, has to at least be at a minimum break-even and, of course, at best, profitable. Of course, uh, there is a question of the quality of education and the quality of a degree that someone might earn. Are we heading for, in this technological age, uh, a time when there'll be globally recognized university degrees? You know, that is that has been one of the biggest challenges, I would say, is how do you deliver and um, maintain high-quality um, education. One of the things that the West was built on is this idea of character. And so Western universities in general, Oxford, your Cambridges, your Harvards, have always been the best. When you go to a lot of third-world countries, a lot of times they're trading, and second-world countries trading, money for degrees. And so even... Um, the, we, we need to make better mechanisms in order to assure the learning objectives are actually there. During this time uh, with COVID and some of these universities, the technology to reduce, you know, I was just say cheating, and a number of these things has expanded such that more and more online degrees are being recognized. It was interesting, uh, there's a a man of, of great influence, his name is George Soros, and he was looking at Coursera, which is one of these large online platforms for delivering technology. Uh, last year, he said that would be one of his top picks. He said that he believes education and online education is what is going to shape the social fabric of our world. And so more and more, as with anything, the more it's used, the acceptance will grow. And David, in Australia, uh, you're speaking to us from the US. Uh, you do have someone who is uh, on their way back to Australia uh, who will be leading the drive here in Australia. There is some sense in which today you'd like to see some connection with some education entrepreneurs around Australia to connect with what's happening with uh, the third education revolution. Uh, what's the call on Australian educators now to get involved? So that, that's absolutely correct. So our lead uh, technology uh, individual, he uh, owns a company and he is moving. He actually lived in Australia. He went back to uh, India during COVID and um, is there. He is married and he's coming back. Interfacing with this, uh, we have some of the leading technology platforms. We have some of the leading um, universities of the world. And what we're looking for is uh, area and country representatives to really push and move this forward. So throughout Africa, we were able to um, create a network of about 240 people. In India, we're up to um, within the network, I think right around four to 500 people. And our scholars network uh, in Europe has now grown over 800. And so we're looking to ex uh, explore this. And so I would encourage people to reach out to the thirdeducationrevolution.com uh, 
uh, would be kind of the first place uh, to start interfacing, and then we would put them in contact. And we are looking for people who want to push this as well. So anybody out there and your listeners who thinks, wow, we need to take back culture and we need to do this all the way from, you know, the very youngest through university, please do reach out. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talk back line open, 1-800-316-316. We're talking about a third education revolution. What are your thoughts? This is a revolutionary conversation we're having today. Your input could be very, very important. Let us know what you think about schools and about universities. And is there... Uh, the timing, is it right for the church to step in and actually create an alternative space for education? 1-800-316-316. Dr. David McDonald is our guest. He's a contributing author of the book, The Third Education Revolution. David, I'd love to ask you about the chapter that you have contributed and around uh, issues of culture, kids and chaos. That's the title of your chapter. What are you, what are you, uh, uh, what's your thesis in your chapter that you're trying to communicate? Yeah, the the basic thing is, as I talk to parents, one of them is they, there's a universal, like, cry, like, how did we get this far off? Their their kids, you know, roughly anywhere from 70 to 80% of kids who are raised in the church want nothing to do with it in their mid to late 20s. College, um, for those who go to college, about 70% go away. Newsweek reported this year, this is off of another Barna study, that 30% of young Christians now identify as LGBTQ. That's not that they're sympathetic to it, that they actually identify in this category. And so what I do is I try to bring a biblical worldview back to this, and I say, this is how we got there and give a historical perspective of how do we have hope as we move forward. Jesus Christ said, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. And so the average person um, who attends church goes about 40 hours a year. But if you compare that to how many hours, it's just over a thousand that they're spending in public education that has an anti-biblical worldview, it's very little wonder why this is turning out this way. And so that, that is the kind of the heart of which it came out was out of parental pain and a lot of things talking about it. And then as I started to dig deeper, I realized that a lot of the ills that are coming from Uh, that we see in the world have happened over and over again from the result of education. So let me, let me give you a couple examples of that. There's a a doctor, his name's Dr. Victor, Victor Frankel. He was a survivor of the Holocaust. He was both an MD and a PhD and he went through Auschwitz. Listen to what he said. He said, I'm absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz were not ultimately prepared in some ministry or other in Berlin, but rather at the desk and lecture halls of nihilistic scientist and philosopher. Hitler went on and admitted, and he said, nothing makes me more certain of the victories of our ideas than our success 
in the universities. And so we can look to Abraham Lincoln, who said the philosophy of the schoolroom, one generation will be the philosophy in the government. But we go back one step further, and I say to Judges 2, when all the, and this is from Judges 2, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, know the work which he had done for Israel. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers. They followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. This will be the last verse in this little section. It's from Hosea. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Why are they destroyed? Because they have rejected knowledge. And so he goes on and says, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, the Bible, I will forget your children. So the, my basic thesis is, is when you abandon biblical revelation, when you abandon discipleship making to an atheistic Marxist system, none of us should be surprised at the results we're seeing. We're reaping what we're sowing. 1-800-316-316 to have your say on what's happening with our education systems. Let's take a call. Wendy is in Casino in New South Wales. Hi, Wendy. Welcome. Hello, Neil. Hi, Wendy. Look, I'm so excited about um, listening to this conversation. Every now and then my excitement bubbles over. This is one of the best things I've heard about for such a long time. I've heard that God's doing a new thing you know, in churches and in, in education, but I just haven't been able to join the dots. You know, I've, I've been in the church with them. Um, I'm an ex-teacher myself, by the way, and an ex-chaplain. One person who actually was um, became an atheist at university because of the Marxist teaching there um, and the people all around me. So, you know, when I became a Christian at 30, I became very interested in education. And tr- I was in state schools and Christian schools, and I just got to the end of it all at about the age of 50 and thought, you know, this, this is hopeless. This is not training up our children the way we need to be. And I'm so excited to hear about this, what's happening. And I, and I would love to be able to be part of it from, a, you know, as a regional Christian, a retired pastor, retired teacher. How can I help? That's what I'd oh. like to know. Okay, Wendy. Well, uh, let's go to David here. Uh, Wendy, who finds herself at a loose end, uh, available for support in whatever way as she's reflecting there. David, uh, there'll be lots of people just like Wendy in Casino in New South Wales who are thinking this as they're listening to our conversation. How do people prepare themselves to actually put some action to the thoughts we're talking about? So I think one of the, the easiest ways is go to uh, the thethirdeducationrevolution.com and there's a query page on there and you go ahead and put in your information and someone, it may even be me, depending on uh, where we're traveling, will reach out and uh, further contact people for this and give them Dr. Dave Gillespie. Um, and I want to give two websites, runs our pilot program. He's been doing this for, uh, I think, about five or six years, runs what's called Veritas uh, Academies. And the easiest way to reach either one of them is to go to the third education, or excuse me, not the, it'll be just thirdeducationrevolution.com and contact via the query page. 
Okay, Wendy, I hope that is helpful. The website is called thirdeducationrevolution.com. There'll be a query page there. Wendy, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Come back to the worldview idea for just a moment here, David, because what we're talking about is introducing a Christian worldview into the education of our children, our teenagers through university, so that when they, in fact, uh, graduate with their university degree, they have a different worldview. Now, just a minute or so out from news, your, your thoughts on the importance of that worldview and how it changes nations. Yeah, and so the, the foundation of, I would say, a Christian, and Christian has lost its meaning, so I often will say biblical worldview, is... What does the Bible say is a blessing? What's often we think of as a blessing is money. But the Bible says children are a blessing. But what are we hearing in a lot of churches? So what's happened, this really, I wouldn't say it's a biblical worldview of blessing and getting more money. That is the end purpose of life versus discipleship being the end purpose of life. If your end purpose, your worldview is to get more money, you're going to do whatever it takes to do that. If your end view and worldview is you have an eternal worldview that the only thing you can take with you is your children, you will abandon and give up all sorts of things in order to see that happen. David, we'll continue our conversation and lots more to build on as we go, but why don't we take another call from a listener? Before we do that, let's hear from Rebecca in Cairns in North Queensland. Hello, Rebecca. Welcome. Hello. Um, I'm driving around listening to this, and um, it's like God's answering a prayer for me. Um, With everything that's been going on in the world the last few years, it's been very scary being a parent. And um, I decided the start of this year to pull the kids out of school. Um, They were at a Christian school, but I just was very apprehensive to send them still um, with everything that's happening. So I'm homeschooling at the moment. They're only little. Um, I've got three kids. My daughter was starting prep this year, my son in kindy, and then I've got a one-year-old as well. So I'm just wondering what, as parents, can we do to help this along or how do we be involved in it? Rebecca, by the time your kids are old enough for university, this may well be very well developed. Uh, Let's get a thought or two from our special (laughs) guest, uh, David McDonald. Uh, This is the sort of desperation I think we're hearing, and perhaps it's more widespread than we think, uh, from parents who are worried about their children. What are your thoughts for Rebecca? Well, first, I would just like to say praise God, Rebecca, that you um, took the steps uh, to pull your kids out of school. We made the same the same decision. Our kids were much older, so I had a, a child in the seventh grade. So the first thing that I would encourage you and is actually you've already done it, which is take discipleship incredibly serious. But the opportunities coming down the line, what we're looking at being able to do. Research shows that homeschooled kids are ready to go to college between two and three years earlier than their public school counterparts. We actually lived that out in our family. And so our uh, 
seventh grade child, when we pulled him out of school, actually enrolled um, into college when he was uh, about 15 and graduated, undergraduate at 18, received his doctorate at 21. So we're in the process of partnering with universities in order to take a homeschool mother, just like you have, partnering with other educational institutions. So we don't have one in Australia yet, but we do have one in the United States. It's called William Jessup University. They are now matching uh, state-priced education, and they will take 16, 17, 18-year-old students and allow them to stay in homeschool, and they'll get a fully accredited, and we have something called regional accreditation in the U.S., where they can get a full pre-med degree all online. And thanks to COVID, medical schools and things like that happen. And so that's the exact kind of thing we're looking to do uh, to create partnerships and to get boots on the ground. And Australia is to talk to different universities about taking your young ones and having a path toward uh, university graduation to where they can do this all at home for either less or the same price as a state education. Rebecca, I hope that was helpful for you. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own impression of what this looks like, a third education revolution, what that means for you. What I can hear here, David, is uh, there's a homeschooling model, which I might say has been uh, growing Uh, wonderfully strong uh, through the COVID years, these past couple of years uh, here in Australia. Uh, Things have been growing too because parents have been uh, upset, uh, disturbed by what their children are being taught in school and so they're adopting a homeschool model. Uh, There are already online degrees that people can earn from the secular university. So for the church to push its way into that space... Uh, how do you do that? Uh, do you partner with existing uh, higher education education uh, education institutions that are already Christian? How would that work in practice? So we have we have actually kind of three general models with that. One is we do partner with uh, what we would call regionally accredited. That's the the highest level of accreditation, um, and that would be accepted credits even in Australia. They're accepted throughout Europe, anywhere in the U.S. and Canada. And we do that with universities that have a biblical worldview at their very core. So that would be, I would say, the easiest model, which is just um, basically allowing this to happen. The, the beauty of being a homeschool mother is likely that would be a dual in, or a single income family where the father could support the family so the mother could home educate. But there's a lot of families out there who do not have that ability. And so, for example, even in my family, uh, my sister-in-law's uh, husband went to prison. It's a very sad situation. And as she raises her six children, how can she home educate? And so having a church as a resource where she could take her children for a hybrid education instead of having them at home when she's having to be the primary breadwinner This is where the third education really can fill in those gaps. If she just did an online education for her 12, 14, 16-year-old kid, likely they'd be in video games or social media or even worse. So we really believe that partnering with a church, having kind of youth pastor 2.0, homeschool mom, 
2.0 at the church where we form these educational pods is a very cost-effective way uh, to fill in the gaps. Obviously, we, we don't see ourselves in competition with a private Christian school. That's a, that's a wonderful model. We don't believe it's an either-or. We believe it's a both-and. And there's a huge, huge number of people who wouldn't know where to start, how to do this, or what to do. And so this lowers the financial bar because of asynchronous education costs so much less than having subject matter experts teach children, you know, for example, an algebra teacher or a pre-calculus teacher, a biology teacher, bringing those in via the internet and having a character formation person behind that. So great questions today. Okay, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Let's take another call. Graham is in Burnie in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. You know, actual fact, Satan's going full bore the opposite direction, and he has his ministers preaching in our schools. We're we're in a situation where the falling away is great, total rejection of God, our government. You know, uh, Paul talks about this in Second Thessalonians, and great deception. And if we were to do that, that's great on TV, you know, through TV or internet, whatever. But what, will the ministers be of one mind? Will the Will it be of one mind in what they're preaching for a start? Uh, good thought there, Graham. Uh, a response from David, uh, because uh, it's all very well to say you're going to have a great curriculum. Uh, it's who's contributing to that, who's preparing it. And I imagine you might get to sign off on it before you uh, put your children or teenagers into it. But uh, what are your thoughts here for Graham? You know, actually, he brings up one of the... This is this is actually such a deep question he brings up. It's this is a big problem. I always uh, or I often lead with I'm never surprised by the world. Often the world is a reflection of the church, and so the uh, if you take something like Virtues Campus that uh, Dr. David Glesney does, the the type of curriculum we need in order to uh, create. Uh, a biblical worldview that needs to be vetted. There is, we used to say that there was a great apathy and problem, but in addition to just apathy, how do you, you know, have standard operating procedures for rules of social media engagement? All of the other things that are involved. Often people don't fall academically until they've fallen morally. And how do we preserve? the fact that the people overseeing these students X, Y, and Z. And so one of the things that uh, I would encourage for people who are interested is reach out to Virtues Campus. They kind of have a, uh, how do you do this in a box? And they tick a lot of those different check marks. Now, they're probably not going to have everything, but if you go to virtuescampus.com, they will give uh, free resources in order to um, answer some of the some of the very serious uh, questions that this gentleman's brought up. Okay, Graham, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. An anonymous caller calling in from the state of Queensland. Hello, caller. Welcome along. Hi. How are you? Very good. What are your thoughts? Um. Um, a few questions um, from listening it sounds like it's kind of more for universities and stuff like that but I'm a secondary school teacher about to return um, to work from maternity leave 
and I understand a lot of the concerns that you guys and everyone have. Um, but I, I worry about the current um, communication about God in, in our state system. Um, and if we ta- could this potentially take away from the chaplaincies and stuff that's already happening in our schools? Like, how could we encourage with more chaplains in our schools and um, RI in our schools so that all kids get exposed, not just parents who have the ability to homeschool and stuff like that. You're making a good point. And uh, just for uh, David's understanding, because we have quite an extensive chaplaincy, uh, federally funded program in our schools, and there is religious instruction that happens in schools, and though that is under pressure in a lot of different states, uh, our our, uh, listener is saying, well, what happens to some of the Christian content that's happening in state schools? Would that put pressure on it if uh, churches were taking a alternative uh, opportunity of, of doing a different education system? Uh, thoughts here for our listener, David? You know, I, I think that, again, is a very valid. So one of the things that we uh, do is we believe in advancing on all fronts, just like the enemy uh, the previous caller had said that there there seems to be they're attacking from everywhere. We don't believe in an abandoning any ground. We do believe, though, that there's a, a great number of parents who would like to be able to uh, disciple their children in a different method for those 1,000, 1,200 hours a year who cannot um, homeschool or Um, put their kids in a private institution where the church can fill in that area. But um, that's a great thing. And I wished I knew more of that system to really put a, you know, a, a solid answer on that. So I apologize for that. Well, thank you so much to our caller and congratulations on your baby and uh, and all the best with your, with your return to work eventually. Thank you so much for your call. Coming back to culture, kids and chaos, this is the chapter you wrote in the book The Third Education Revolution. You reflect on some of the ways, and interestingly, as our caller Graham reflected, you know, Satan is at work in our systems and the minds and hearts of our children are, are, are the target here. You've got some reflection on, on children and the influences and even historic influences that have seen children being very important, even for, uh, for alternative and evil movements. Yeah, the, the, I, really, I really appreciated his uh, comments. I'm just going to go to John 8 and read, read this. It says, The devil not holding to the truth... For there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I, when I kind of survey the scene, what I see is a lion going about seeking whom he may devour. And he uses all different uh, techniques. He can use a Marxist system. He can use narcissism. He can use lust. All different things. But his end goal is the same. He values, really, I would say, almost above all else, the next generation. And so in my chapter, what I try to get parents and pastors to really focus on is look at how specific the devil goes after children in the Bible and how his ministers do the same thing. 
Let me read to you from Mein Kampf. This is Adolf Hitler. He says the state, it must proclaim the truth that the child is the most valuable possession a people can have. In this matter, the state must assert itself as a trustee of a millennial future in face of which the egotistical desires of the individual count for nothing and will have to give way before the ruling of the state. And so I twist this and I say, how beautiful it would be, though, if the family and the church proclaimed the truth that the child was most valuable possession that we have. In this matter, the family, the church, must assert itself as the trustee of a millennial future in the face of which our egotistical desires count for nothing. And so this is the, the, the animus at which the enemy goes after children. I want the agape, the love, the giving up of ourself in every way that we can for the discipleship of the next generation. We have to see this as a battle. And this isn't, this isn't kind of like a, uh, a passive thing. Adolf Hitler goes on. This is a very famous speech, 1933. He goes, when an opponent declares, I will not come over to your side, I calmly say, your child belongs to us already. What are you? You will pass on. Your descendants, however, now stand in a new camp. In a short time, they will know nothing else but this community. Now, that sounds like that could almost have been written you know, into a song in the last couple of years. It ought to send a shiver up the spine of every parent. And when we think of uh, education systems from our children in their youngest years through secondary, and now we're talking about how you bring a Christian biblical worldview into a university education, the thought of taking our children's discipleship much more seriously. How are you seeing parents in the West and and whether we're actually taking that discipleship as seriously as we ought to, David? Well, one of the things that I see now is this just huge encouragement, I would say, I wouldn't even say in the West worldwide. What happens is things have gotten finally dark enough to where people are kind of waking up. You can go back to, you know, I would even say the mid-80s through the mid-90s and the apathy of what it meant to be a Christian uh, really just kind of meant good morals other than in a few pockets um, within the West, primarily in academics. But you look at what our brothers and sisters who are standing up for what it meant to be a Christian in areas of persecution and you find their faith flourishing in these areas of persecution because those who take on the name of Jesus Christ truly are following Jesus Christ. And so what I'm seeing now is parents questioning, what does it mean to be a Christian? Is there a God? These are all healthy questions that parents are starting to lean in at and they're not taking an apathetic, but they're taking an active role in discipleship. And I, we see this also in the Old Testament. That this kind of undulation, so to speak, of where things are hard and then people start to take it serious. They go back to God, then they get apathetic, and then they have this following away. And so I believe we're at a time 
where actually I think things are going to get significantly more challenging, but where people are waking up and they will start to really evaluate the truth of biblical Christianity. Well, just a couple of minutes remaining for our conversation, and uh, there'll be some listeners uh, sitting on the edge of their chair saying, please give that website one more time. And there's a couple of websites to talk to here. One of them is thirdeducationrevolution.com. That gives listeners an overview and a way that they can connect uh, with the third education revolution here in Australia. And I know you'd like to hear from uh, people, uh, whether you are a parent who is concerned, whether it's someone in a community, whether it's in the city or in a regional centre or in a country area, this doesn't exclude anyone because if you turn your church into a classroom, uh, it, it can happen anywhere. So thirdeducationrevolution.com, there's a query page there. You can put in your information and someone will contact you. There's also another website, which I want to mention here specifically because some will be saying, well, how do you start a church school? And uh, there is some insight here on the virtuescampus.com website, virtuescampus.com. You mentioned the name, David, Dr. David Glesney. And there is a pilot program uh, with Veritas Academies as to how this might work. So for early exploration as to how this could work in your own town, in your own local church, uh, you could visit that website, virtuescampus.com. Any uh, connection with you too, David? Uh, Another website, just to throw things in here and hopefully not complicate things, uh, worldviewcommons.com. Is that your own website, David? That is, yes. If anybody personally wants to uh, contact me, they can go to worldviewcommons.com. And I have uh, my email is on that page. Um, And so that's the easiest way if they have any specific questions. And I usually spend three to four hours a day actually responding to specific questions and uh, following up with that. That's worldviewcommons.com, Dr. David McDonald. And the book we've been talking about is called The Third Education Revolution, and it's available at online booksellers. You can get that uh, just simply Google The Third Education Revolution, and no doubt you can get a hold of that too at the thirdeducationrevolution.com website. David McDonald, just great to have you sharing your thoughts with us. Thanks for staying up a little later for us in Seattle, Washington, in the United States. Appreciate that, and I'm sure listeners all over Australia appreciate your sacrifice and sharing these thoughts with us today on 2020. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 